I'm Trent Alexander-Arnold. I'm Curtis Jones. I am Cody Gagbo. Putting on the Liverpool top for the first time, it was a dream come true and I'll never forget that moment. Pre-order the new LFC 24-25 season Nike home kit now. You can pre-order it today for delivery from the 16th of May at your official LFC stores. Online at liverpoolfc.com forward slash store and on the official LFC store app. You will never walk alone. It's exciting times for Liverpool fans and the engine crew is here to bask in it. Joining me tonight are Shuri, Avi and Bajon and we take an in-depth look into what's been a massive transfer window. Welcome everyone to the Indian AI Podcast. Right, guys. Firstly, thank you so much for coming on. We're all getting together after quite some time, so this should be a lot of fun. Very excited. Before we get right into the transfer window, I thought we could probably look at two of our World Cup stars, Lovren and Henderson, two players that have always been a source of division in our fan base. I thought we could just talk about the performance and maybe what you guys think about their future at Liverpool. Start with you, Bajan. I was hoping you'd come to me last, but. Uh... <laughs> Um, no, I think they did. I think they did all right. Um, I think the the biggest issue that we've had with both of them is that you know they get both Henderson and Lovren get get praised way too much when they have a solid game, and then similarly they get trashed to the to the absolute extreme uh, when they have a bad game. So all I can say is I think for for the most part of it they had solid tournaments, and that's great because they both went in deep. Um, a feel for Lovren because he lost two finals in two months, arguably two of his big, you know, two of the biggest in his life. But um, yeah, performance-wise, I think good for them. Uh, great exposure, great long year. Um, came out fit, no major injuries. Good, um, solid period of time, I guess. Uh, Bijan, what's your take on Henderson? Though obviously we we are kind of sure that Lovren will probably be starting all our games. But uh, what about Henderson? Where does he stand right now? I think it's too soon for anyone to sort of di- dismiss him being not part of the eleven. Um, I, I still think that you know, with the initial stages, we will. I mean, presuming the A, they're gonna they're gonna miss a couple of weeks anyway, right? But we've we've got to look at it this way by saying we are gonna play sixty games a season. Uh, we've been uh, whether you want to call it lucky or not. Um, I don't think it's necessarily lucky. We've been we got eliminated fairly early in the domestic competitions and details. So it, it's always good to have extra numbers in the midfield. And remember, he's he's very rarely finished a full season in the past few years, right? He's always had twenty five to twenty eight games on average. So it'll always be good to have him back. Uh, I'm not going to sit here in July and say, oh wait, he's not going to make the eleven because we honestly yet don't know. We can assume what the eleven is going to be. Uh, majority of us would be correct. I still do think he has a place in that three with Nabi and Fabinho. Um, until unless there's an addition to that, I don't see him necessarily starting the season on the bench. But more the merrier. We've got numbers. We need numbers. Um, everyone's got another year of football. They're all a year older. Um, and then we still have 60 games that we need to try and aim for. So, um, He's come back well. He's had a good solid tournament. Hopefully, he can have a good solid year as well. Again, I'm saying solid because that's that's all that I really want from him, to be honest. Bijan, I'm going to stay with you because I know from our previous discussions and you know all our talks in the past about Lovren that you you've never really been a big fan of his. But um, do you see any improvement in his game and his um uh you know the the way he kind of carries the defensive line for Liverpool and also just you know, from his performance with Croatia as well. I think he's been better from 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 January to May. Uh, um, I think that's fair to say. But we have to remember that from January to May, um, Karius was brilliant. Other than the two mistakes, literally, the, the poor guy's career has been ruined effectively because of two mistakes he's made. He was brilliant for six months. Van Dijk was absolutely incredible for six months. So he's obviously benefited from both of them being. Permanent fixtures. Uh, so, 
that's the level that he's got himself up to. But again, that level is a consistent maybe six and seven on ten, right? Which, to be fair, if you want to be a top four team or if you want to reach the semis or the quarters of the Champions League, that's solid. But if you're aiming higher, obviously you'd want more eight and nines. Um, in the World Cup, he was average. Um, he was solid. Uh, but, but that's it, right? That's the problem that we've had with, like I said, with both of them, Anderson included, right? Uh, they get praised for every six and seven on ten performance they have. And then we slip them for anything that's under five. Um, and then the narratives are, are, are exaggerated. Uh, local newspapers don't, don't do them any justice. Um, because they overpush it, right? The only problem I have with Lovren is every time he does have a stretch of games, which is a six and seven on ten, then he goes and says shit like, you know, I'm, I better be considered amongst the best center backs in the world, which is absolutely bizarre. You know, you don't, you don't walk around assuming that. Um, it's not like Umtiti and Varane were walking around talking about themselves as being the best center backs in the world, right? So that's the only problem I have. I think Lovren buys into his hype more than everybody else. Um, and that's what is one of the biggest causes of his inconsistencies. I think I would kind of attribute that to the fact that he's always had to take a lot of stick from fans and he's always kind of out there to prove a point. Uh, considering he's, you know, made it to the Champions League final, like you said, in the World Cup final, the biggest, um, matches in, uh, the biggest games in, you know, their respective lines. But I think it's more about him just kind of, um, Yes, it is a little childish, I agree, but it's just more about him trying to keep a point and getting the message across to all his haters. But coming to you, Shri, uh, we all know you're a big Henderson fan. What is your take on his general performance in the work as well as his future at LSE? What do you mean big? Why didn't you say biggest? I'm upset now. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't want to overdo it. <laughs> That's okay. That's at least according to trend. Everything is overdone when it comes to him, as Bijan said. Uh, but coming to his performances, I think in a way it was helped when he was subbed off. They bought him, they brought in Dyer and he played according to his name. So I think maybe people saw that, okay, he isn't as bad when you put him against someone like Dyer. But I, I would say, he had a functional role to perform and he performed it. Okay. So whether he, he intended to be, whether he could have been more flasher, obviously what you want as a DM is receive the ball. It is back to the goal. Just do a half swivel and do a 60 yard pass, but that's not going to be something which happens day in and day out. But he had a role to fulfill. Obviously it's not, it's the most, you could say one of the least glamorous roles on the team and he did it. What was required? Could he have done better? Yes. But was he as bad as people make it out to be? No, and that is, unfortunately, that is always the case with him. It's what is being spoken about is rarely the truth. It's somewhere in the middle. And uh, I would say that's how it is. And Lovren, I think one advantage in playing in a World Cup is obviously since the teams play so infrequently together, when the teams get together, the things which a coach would ideally want to fix up is a defensive solidity. So it's usually defenders show up pretty much better than attackers because attackers don't play that much together to say create a rhythm among themselves or create this synchronization among themselves. So defenders usually get shown up better. So I would say and world football is at least at a slower pace than something like a Champions League. Right. I would say. So I think the defenders do get shown up better. So I would put that for Lauren. But yeah, he made he did make quite a few mistakes, but obviously it wasn't capitalized upon. But as Bijan said, he's had a good spell. I would say. Not average, I would say good spell, whether it is indeed because of carriers or is it because of Andek, we don't know. Maybe we would need a bigger sample size to judge. Right. Adi, Adi, coming to you, uh, obviously we discussed about their performances in the World Cup. How do you see, um, especially for Henderson, how do you see his role playing out um, at LSC for the season? I, I don't think he, he's as much, uh, you know, a discard as some people will talk about right now. If you read Twitter, you'll, you'll see, you'll see people saying there's Fabinho at the club right now. There's no role for Henderson. No, because one, we've cried about not having squad depth for how long. And now that we finally have squad depth, we want to push away, we want to push away someone. No, uh, look, as Bijan said, we're going to play 
60, maybe more, hopefully more than 60 games next season. Uh, and we need every every member of the squad that we possibly can get. Uh, and look, uh, with, with Henderson, if he was as bad as people made him out to be, then he still wouldn't be there under under Klopp at Liverpool or playing that big a role for England. Uh, admittedly, it wasn't the best England side, all of that, but he still played a pivotal role for a side that made the World Cup semi-final. Uh, so, I, I I don't get the stick that Henderson gets at all. I, I really don't understand most of it. Uh, I think he'll still be a very useful option. I think it's very similar to uh, Milner at the start of last season when we said Milner's going to be useless because we've signed Robertson, so we're not playing Milner at left-back. What kind of role will he have in midfield? We're wondering all these kinds of things and Milner was very important towards the second half of the season. Uh, and I genuinely believe Henderson's position is something similar to what Milner was at. Uh, whether he's going to be the deepest lying midfielder or playing some other role in midfield, I don't know, but I definitely think he has a role to play. And just one thing on Lovren, uh, he, overall, as Dijon said, very solid, but he still had those momentary lapses. You look at that game, Croatia's game against Argentina, he had a miscommunication with the goalkeeper, bailed out by uh, Enzo Perez, not, not shooting into an open goal. Uh, I thought he could have done better for the Cherishev goal against uh, when they played Russia. I thought he could have closed him down. He was just standing there. So he still ha- did have his momentary Lovren moments, but on the whole, much, much, on the whole, very, very solid. And alongside a partner who wasn't great, uh, you attribute his second half of last season to having Virgil alongside him. But Vida wasn't great. Uh, Vida was basically another Lovren, a Lovren with weird hair. That's pretty much the difference I saw between the two. So, he still had those moments, but largely very solid, which which is a good sign for us as well, because uh, uh, Matip, I I don't know what his body is made of. He seems to get more injured than Sturridge. Uh, Klavan, what choice at best. And so, so we need Lovren, Lovren to perform well, because it looks like we aren't going to sign a centre-back. Right, Adi, uh, there cannot be a podcast with you in it and no James Milner part of this, so you managed to get him in, even though we weren't really talking about him. But, um, um, Adi, had to, had to. I, I just have one. Yeah, you just had to, of course. So, Adi, uh, just quickly, uh, coming back to Henderson, I mean, if he's going to be part of, uh, what do you think happens to the captaincy role? Like, does it stay with Henderson or does it get passed on to someone? The captaincy has been weird under Klopp. I mean, it's it's been either Henderson, if Henderson and Milner are there, well, well and good. Otherwise, the guy who who joined Liverpool the earliest, which would probably be Daniel Sturridge this season. Uh, but uh, but no, but no. I think I think uh, what we've seen with this side is that there are leaders without the armband as well, like Van Dijk. Uh, nice. So, like like even Robertson uh, at some points of time. So I think I, I don't think it'll be as big as big a problem, you know, uh, yeah, uh, because uh, everything you read about Henderson points to him being this uh, unifying character, even off the pitch, more off the pitch than on the pitch. So mm-hmm. where you you read what Trent says about Henderson all the time. So I think from that perspective, nothing changes, and on the pitch there are enough leaders as such. Right, Bijan, I'm going to come to you. You have a question you'd like to ask. No, it was more. It was a. It was more an observation to be able to say because I, I think I just noticed that both Sri and Adi kind of used or sort of used the same language that I did in terms of saying both of them were solid, right? And I think that's where yeah. a lot of the problem arises is because invariably you would have been really happy if two of your players in midfield and centre back were solid, right? Mm-hmm. But the mm-hmm. biggest problem that you have, especially in in the English narrative, is that if an Englishman is solid, then he's made out to be Xavi, right? And that's what people have an issue with because over the years, and we've seen it, right? We saw him play in front of Steven um, under Rogers and he was brilliant. And then they suddenly made him sound like the biggest thing in the world. Um, he has a bad game and then the English make it sound like, like he's really awful because he can't be Paul scores. He has a half-decent game and then he's the most unifying factor in the England team and he's so important because and that's the bigger problem that I have and that's more an England thing in how 
how they deal with the narratives in the media. So a solid game is always going to be a solid game. So if we had more solid six and sevens on ten from Lovren, we wouldn't really need to nitpick on everything that's bad. But because every time it's an eight on ten, either he or the media will claim that he's the next Maldini, and then he goes right. all the way down to a two, and then we trash. Right? And that's the and I I just want to know a lot of your opinion on whether you think it is are they would they be suffering from the same if it, if the media were a little more consistent with with how their performances performances are projected. Well, I definitely think so. It plays on their minds for sure because you know they they play a game and then the next day they're reading the headlines, they're reading the papers, they're reading what's on social media. They're all extremely active on social media. All of these footballers, so obviously it does. Um, does affect them psychologically, but I will bring Shri in. Maybe he can add some uh, something more to this. Shri, I'm not even sure whether it's an England thing because for all the England, I I don't want to go into the topic, but we know how Sterling has been treated. So I'm not convinced if it's even an England thing with it. There's a hard argument to be made. No, but but the point England thing, I don't mean just English players. I just mean just the way the the, the England media treats anyone within their ecosystem. No, that's correct. But we have so we don't know whether foreigners would have got easier, and we have seen lot of foreigners who have literally got hounded out by the media. So it, with foreign players, yeah, true. That's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. It's the English media. That chooses the narrative, which tends to create more damage than good, which is why there's such extremes. It's like you look at this is slightly off topic, but you look at Diego Costa, right? As a foreigner, because he didn't live up to this English standard of being, he got hounded out. So I'm just talking about the, just the general treatment within that ecosystem of all kinds of players, which is why there's such extremities in how we, you know, eventually choose to judge players. I wouldn't say it. I don't know whether I would call it extremity. It's, I would say you could almost say it's like uh, how how do I put it? It's it's almost like a cartel where an opinion is consistent across. Like it's almost like everybody is saying the same thing. Everybody has been given the same sheet. And if you see, for example, when they do a media article, Henderson article comes out, you'll have six different media articles almost saying the same thing. And that is what I think. I I would say it is a reinforcement of an opinion. If you just keep saying the same thing ten times, it almost becomes true. So I would say it's a reinforcement of an opinion. Which if that is an extremity according to you, then I would agree. Adi, I'm I'm going to bring you in. You you wanted to add something here? Yeah, and it's not just it's not just the media, is it? It's it's this uh, whole bunch of uh, fans or I put that fans in quotes. Because they hound players so much as well. You see what's happening with Carrius right now. You see what's happening with Carrius right now. And the same thing happened with Lovren after that Wembley game. And in a way, I I don't I don't really uh, have a problem with Lovren saying what he has to because I understand that as a defense mechanism against all this nonsense that goes around on social media. Abhi, I'm actually uh, gonna just hold on to the point that you brought up about. Um... Social media and about carriers because honestly, I am and this is, this is completely off topic. But since you brought it up, I thought I just I just um, take it on. I'm completely appalled by the way fans have been treating carriers, and it all it all boils down to the fact that everyone believes that that they have a right to speech, they have the freedom to to speak their opinions on social media, and you know. People don't realize that there's there's a thin line between what you say about a player or a person on social media, and how much it can affect that person. Like the, the kind of things that people have been talking about, carriers is just absolutely insane. It's inhuman to the point that you know you can actually make someone feel like that for mistakes that happen in a football match. Like you cannot fuck with someone's mind and someone's you know psychology. The way that our our own fans are doing it, and I'm absolutely like, I have no words, you know. And I just I feel so bad for that guy. I mean, yes, he he has, like the John said, effectively um, ruined his career because of those two mistakes. But you you cannot cheat anyone like that on the, on the basis that I have the freedom of speech and I have the right to even express my opinions about about anything and anyone. For me, that 
that's one of the you know the backlashes of of social media. Uh, there's there's good things about it and there's bad things about it, and this is part and parcel of it. The worst part is all these people who think that uh, Carius is wrong because he earns that much money, so he should be able to take the abuse. No, uh, he's he earns money, but how how does that have anything to do with you know how much how he's getting treated or how how he has to uh, react to the treatment that he's getting? And look, he's not said one bad thing uh, apart from that one cryptic post. Yeah. Which also got a lot of yeah. backlash saying, "Why, why are you on Instagram when uh, you you've made these errors? Your freedom of speech is the same as Doris Carius. He's got the right to say what he wants yeah. to. The, the two mistakes don't change yeah. his right to say what he wants to." Dash, if if I could just say, I think it's a fair point. It's not because he earns money; he's expected to do a lot of things. So he's earning money for his skill set, and people make mistakes. We make mistakes in our job. And earning money is never a great deal. Even Donald Trump earns money. <laughs> yeah, and 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 the bottom line is when you think about it, like when you think about about it as a human being and not as a as a fan, but just as a human being. Like, who are we to sit, you know, comfortably in our chairs and tweet about players so much, so negatively? Like, we honestly, we have the right to speak. We 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 can't do that to someone. You know, so it's just something. I understand. I don't understand how someone can say those things about a person. You know, what I mean, and and like the John said at the beginning of the podcast. I mean, he had a fantastic, uh, uh you know, four, four or five months before the two mistakes that he made. I mean, everyone, people, people don't seem to like notice that. But obviously, because it was a chance to final and you know everything, it's it's really really sad. And I just I just hope that you know he he comes out of it strong and he kind of copes with. All the mental pressure that he's going through right now, like I really, really feel for Carius. And guys, staying with goalkeeper situation, we can now finally head on to the transfer window. I am so excited, and I'm super, super excited to talk to you guys about it. Um, obviously, we'll start off with a listen. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come to you, Bijan. Your thoughts on this guy, not just in terms of the kind of Player that he is, but also the kind of money that has been spent on him. Obviously, uh, rival rival fans are completely shaken up, and this is something I want to discuss with you guys later on. Uh, all of it put together, your thoughts and your listen, John. So you know, as soon as the as soon as the two mistakes happen, um, you always kind of knew that it was going to be a really long road back, um, and I was really happy that. Uh, at least initially, there was enough that was spoken in Carius's favor from from within the club in terms of at least what Klopp said. Um, but when you are looking at upgrading, um, I, I was of the opinion that there weren't so many goalkeepers available in the world that you could actually call upgrades. And and unlike a lot of people, I was not in the you know the Butland Sillison. Um, Schmeichel camp because everyone was moving towards that being an upgrade because it was typical, right? Anything from Caris is an upgrade, absolutely not. But I was always, um, and as soon as the links came up to be able to say, okay, it was Allison and Oblak, that was the only in my mind acceptable jump if we were to spend money on a goalkeeper because obviously there are multiple plugs that we sort of needed to look at. But as soon as it became a possibility. Um, it was really exciting to suddenly assume that we're gonna not not necessarily because of the price. Um, again, I think you guys know, and I've, I said this earlier as well. Um, all the way back when Sadio Mane was bought for thirty million, and I've been reminded of this mm. many many times over, is that mm. I wasn't happy with that price back then, right? But I I completely recognized that it was a purchase that was made to suit a certain player type and a fit. And then since then we've been making similar kinds of purchases, right? And as soon as Van Dijk went happened at 75, the logic was if it fits you, he's worth what you pay for him. That's the fact of it. I'm just really happy that we've had the balls to be able to say, you know what, this is a, this is an issue. Um, if it is an issue because the individual can't come back from where he is, and we have an opportunity or a window to be able to get Alisson, because again Madrid weren't really making up their mind. You did not know what was happening with the likes of Courtois, etc. As soon as we had the window, we went in. So that's the most exciting part about 
how we're actually dealing with the target. Um, I honestly don't care about whether it's 60, 61, 65. Um, if this dude can stick between the sticks for another seven, eight years, saves you 10 points a season, and who will complain, right? We all, all of us wanted a version of Dabba Gea, right? This is hopefully our version. Um, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying that just to compare abilities. I'm just saying we had an issue. We went out and arguably got one of the top five keepers in the world. And that's, that's just the happiest that, uh, that we should be as fans. So it's, it's safe to say that you are super happy with it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm thrilled. Yeah. I'm, I'm genuinely thrilled that we've, that we've gone and addressed an issue by getting an actual upgrade. And in my mind, if we had spent 30, 40 million on someone like a Butlin, I'd have been really gutted because I think that's stupidity. Uh, I wasn't in the Twitter camp of Citizen being a great goalkeeper. That's, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not convinced on that. It's a genuine upgrade and I'm absolutely thrilled. All right, Sri, coming to you. Devil's advocate, Alison. If, if, if Bijan had just said at this moment it is all cool, it would have been Klopp almost. He said everything, <laughs> everything <laughs> else what Klopp would have said. He, said, he just didn't say at this moment it's cool. <laughs> but yeah, I, see, all of us have seen the numbers. The numbers are great. Obviously, he's had one breakout season. Whether one breakout season mm-hmm. uh, demands 65 million, yeah. we don't know. But that's the price going. And in terms of numbers, obviously, last season he's top three with Oblak and Dehia. He suits the style, and uh, and that is the bit. Uh, obviously, our whole strategy is based upon having a sweeper keeper. Why? Because sweeper keeper means we play a higher line, we compress right. the midfield, which leads to shot prevention. And shot prevention is Always better than shot stopping, and that is why if you see if you see the narrative for the last two years, it's been Liverpool don't concede chances, but when they concede chances, it's usually a high quality one, and we concede. And that's because our whole game plan is revolving around shot prevention rather than shot stopping. And unfortunately, Carrius's greatest strength is not shot stopping; otherwise, he was the perfect fit because he did all the right things. And I would say. He had a very good patch, in fact, from January to, say, May, in right. terms of even short-stopping the number of clean sheets. All numbers were great. Obviously, if, if the Champions League final didn't turn out how it had, there was no reason for us to buy a keeper for 65 million. Made no sense. We have, we bought what carries. I don't even know what fee we paid. What, 5, 6 million? I think. For 5, 6? No, I think it was less. Uh, it was, like 1.5 million dollars. So it was 4.5 million, if I remember. 4.5 right. yeah. million. 4.5 million, yeah. great. Remove the, obviously, it's very easy to say remove the Champions League final, but that's what I'm going to say because I do the easy things. Remove the Champions League final and he looks great. His numbers look great. He didn't, and for a keeper, you need consistent games. This in-out thing doesn't work. So coming to Allison, great numbers, great fit in the, he's very confident coming off his line. Absolute top class reflexes. There's no, no doubting that his throwing is great. His distribution is great. His kicking is great. All again, based on this one and a half season, because obviously uh, Shezny was there before and before Shezny moved out, he didn't. Right. He played a bit in Europe, but he didn't play much. And week in week out, he's played and he's clearly had the uh, breakout season. Uh, he, for my personal liking, for a keeper, he's a bit more flamboyant than he needs to be. He, but yeah, he, he, for us, it's it's going to be hard stopping. But he's so confident of his skills. Because he wants even Sorry, Shri, uh, Shri, I'm just going to stop you there. Sorry. I just wanted to understand slightly better. He said um, he's a little too flamboyant for you as a goalkeeper. Can you just uh, kind of elaborate? So he invites attackers to attack him. So he, it's, it's, do you remember the famous Mignolis, the three bits where he does, he invites the keeper and then nutmegs him or just does yeah, yeah, a yeah. pass bit. He does. Alison does that for a living. Okay. Because he said his, if he was not a keeper, he would have been a striker. So right. Brazil striker, uh, put the links together in your mind. You know, yeah. he, he, it, it looks risky, but he's so confident of his skills that he can pull it off. But with Liverpool, you know, it, this is the club where it will fail if it fails ever. <laughs> so there are going to be hard stopping. Yeah. See. If, if you talk, he's the perfect keeper, perfect age, perfect. He has, he has personally for me as a keeper, when I look at him as a keeper, because 
that's the only position I played. He has one weakness which wasn't exploited at Roma, and I don't know what's going to happen at uh, Liverpool with it because this is something I asked Gags also. Is do we collect numbers like that? For me, he parries the ball a lot back into the danger area. He makes saves. If you see a lot of the saves, this double save, triple save he does, it looks great. But a lot of things he needn't have even gone into the second or third save if he had caught it the first time around. He parries the ball a lot into the danger area. Roma defense were alert enough to clear it off. And I'm hoping that's going to be the same at Liverpool. That's the only thing I fear. Again, his shot stopping on his right side is far more great. His shot stopping on the left is slightly weaker, but that's okay. You obviously have a bias when you are a keeper. He's huge, he's heavy, and he, he, he's a he's a unit. Imagine a guy that big running at you because he's he's very aggressive off his line. There are so many times when he makes this decision call, and you know with the keeper, a split second decision gone wrong, you're mm-hmm. going to take out the player, you're going to give a penalty. But yeah. he's really aggressive off his line. He's allowed Roma to play a higher pressing game, a higher line. So, fitment, everything. My only worry is the parry. And if we can handle that, I don't have numbers to prove it, obviously. You can only go by what I've seen. But he parries the ball back into the center of the box quite a lot. And that is my only worry. But uh, price is never a concern. I've told before, there is nothing called as value in this market. If you need a player and if he meets your needs, that is the value. Value is nothing what you are prepared to pay. If somebody else is prepared to pay 150 million for Allison, that's his value. It is, it is of no use saying we valued it by 60 million. If somebody thinks he's worth 150 million, that becomes his value. So price is absolutely of no concern to me. And also from what has uh, been written about the whole transfer, uh, Roma actually wanted 90 million to start off with. And I, I don't think Liverpool were right to see that. So they actually managed to get it down to um, 75 later on. Uh, Abi, coming to you, your thoughts on the list song? Uh, look, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend like I've been watching him ever since he started playing. No, I watched him play two games for Roma where he conceded seven goals in those two games, which was against us. <laughs> and, <laughs> so I, and, and in the World Cup for Brazil, I, I, I don't know, I couldn't judge much from what he did. So I'm not going to go into what kind of player he is and all. I think she's said enough. But my concern with any goalkeeper at Liverpool is John Akterberg because he he managed to give give us the two worst seasons of Pepe Reina that we saw. Uh, Minile didn't improve under him, uh, and it's taken Carius. It took Carius one and a half years to get to a level which was acceptable. One and a half years since he joined. So I'm just hoping that his quality is such that he cannot get Akterberged because otherwise, from what I've been reading, what <laughs> From what I've been reading, what numbers I've seen, I'm excited. I'm I'm just very, very excited because um, it it was a necessity because I don't think Karius is going to play football at this high level consistently again. I don't think mentally he's going to be able to. Uh, I don't ever want to see Mignolet play at this level for us again and the the kids and the rest of the kids. So, it it was something we needed to be addressed well and good. Just just stay away from John Akterberg now. And that isn't going to be possible now, is it? <laughs> Obviously. Uh, wishful thinking doesn't cost anything. So, just just a point though, Dash, in terms of the fees. Yeah. So, yeah. Leicester have bought what for, what, 12 and a half million? 12, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that makes him amongst the top 20 costliest keepers and he's played two Premier League games. That is a, that is a crazy uh, stat sheet. <laughs> that's that's how keepers' values have jumped. It's, yeah. It was yeah. it was since Nina is there. I have to say it. It was Buffon uh, at yeah. fifty two million. Obviously, one of the three players bought when they sold Zidane. But after that, it it's been what Ederson and now it's exactly and fifty yeah. million. Then it was it was like your Rio Ferdinand level of transfers, paying thirty plus million on a defender. But then it's Sorry. just jumped with Ederson coming from Benfica and now yeah. obviously Alisson. So, but imagine that's, that's how inflation has jumped. Even for keepers, yeah. a player like Ward going for 12 million becoming top 20 costless transfers in keepers. Just imagine. So see, money yeah. should not be a factor at all. Money shouldn't be a factor when you actually look at it now because like you pointed out earlier, the whole inflated market post Neymar and 
Coutinho, etc., uh, Mbappe, etc. But obviously, that's not the case for our rival fans. And that's something I want to talk about. I mean, in, it, it's nothing serious. It's just for the fun of it, of course. But so after the Alisson transfer happened, I had my phone and messages from Barcelona fans and Manchester United fans, Arsenal fans saying that, oh, so Liverpool have inflated the market for goalkeepers and Liverpool are now the new Chelsea. I, somebody actually told me that, that they, they are now the new Chelsea. So, I mean, I just, I just want to know if you guys have to deal with, um, all these kind of fans and, you know, these, these comments being thrown at you and, oh, you know, what do you guys think about the whole thing? Beat on coming to you. I think I think some of it is just hilarious because it's for years and years and years we've been the one trying to chase the market and for the first time, at least in me watching football and 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 as much as we've read, I think since for the first time since the 90s where we've actually led the market in something. So just just yeah. to give some kind of comparison since I think 2014, both the United, both the Manchester clubs have a net spend of 500 million and we're still at 170. Right. So that's, that's the range that we're still talking about. Now, obviously we're spending the money and that's why it becomes a big deal. But we as Liverpool fans, we've always lived on net spend. So net spend makes like, it, it's more a tool that we use when we're saying, Oh, but you know what? We're not really spending that much money. Um, but I find it hilarious when they're saying, Oh, you're buying the league. Uh, because it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's just, it's, it's, I find it, even Arsenal fans, Arsenal fans have spent, or Arsenal have spent 260 million since 2014. And we've spent, right. net spend is 175. Now, if there's anything in the world that you want to thank Philip Coutinho for, that's that. But I don't get the comparisons at all. Of course, we have broken the bank for two of our biggest problems. Right, but United have done that multiple times. City have done that multiple times. Chelsea have done that multiple times. Arsenal did that. I mean, two summers in a row with Sanchez and Ozil. Right, they bought Aubameyang. They've got all kinds of absurdities. So I find it funny when they're coming after us, um, but I secretly love it because it is it is boiling their blood that we've just overtaken a few you know a few clubs and made them rather pointless. Yeah, and, and one of the things that I, I said to one of my friends is that, um, you know, Liverpool has have broken records before. I mean, we paid 25 million for Andy Carroll. I mean, that itself was an inflated price back then. So it's, it's nothing new for us. Just something, this is just a funny thing that I told, I told one of my Arsenal friends because, um, he just couldn't stop talking about how, like you said, Liverpool are buying the league. Avi, coming to you, uh, your, your thoughts on Yeah, a lot of it that I have gotten from, the rival fans that I know is because we're spending that much money on a defender and a goalkeeper. And I think that's absurd. Uh, because look at Arsenal. It was, it was Ozil, Alexis, Lacazette, Aubameyang, all, all big money. Uh, Man, Man City is spending 60 million pounds on Mares. Mares is third or fourth choice for them. Uh, and I think there is this bias towards attacking players when you say, uh, this club's paying 80 million pounds for X. If X is an attacker, I think it's taken a lot better than when X is a defender or a goalkeeper. Uh, and I think that's the problem. Uh, look, we didn't have to pay much for our attackers uh, in comparison to some other sides. Right. For me, right. Firmino was 30-ish million, uh, Salah 35, Mane 35. And we, we had to address a couple of positions. And we've, we've gone and thrown the money where the money should have been thrown. Uh, which is which is fine with me. I mean, with, with Allison or Van Dyke, I really don't care uh, uh, because when other clubs uh, look at Man City, for example, last season, uh, do you think any of their fans care that they spent what two hundred and fifty ish million on their fullbacks? Do you think any of their fans care would have cared in May when they won the league? No. So I, I really don't get this whole. This whole argument at all. You 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 need certain if you need certain players at certain positions and big money is what it takes to get that quality of player. Then I don't have a problem with that at all. Uh, and I mean, right now it's just it's just nice that I am not the one uh, questioning other clubs' big spending and instead 
uh, I'm celebrating my own clubs and I'm just happy about that. That's all. Do you do any of you act guys actually know a Liverpool fan who's not happy with uh, the money spent on Van Dijk and Alisson? Just just out of curiosity. I know a few. They're all called liars. <laughs> I mean, I I I knew a few who doubted Van money we were spending like before he played a game for us. Not not after he's taken the pitch. Uh, right. Okay, guys. Uh, I thought we could. You know, obviously we're discussing transfers and all of that, but a lot has changed over the past couple of years. The way the club has been making transfers, the kind of signings, their um, the kind of players they're getting in, the kind of players they're identifying, their targets itself has improved so much, and the fact that they've been able to go out and get get the targets that they're, they're they've been scouting for. A lot has changed with Klopp coming in, and obviously uh, with Michael Edwards as well. So, Shri, coming to you, uh, your thoughts on the current transfer strategy that Liverpool are following and, you know, the change that you've seen over the past uh, couple of seasons, post Brendan Rodgers and free Brendan Rodgers, do you have any thoughts you'd like to share? I think it's it's a far more cohesive unit in terms of each of them knows their role. It's not a barter system like, okay, you buy one, I buy one. It's It's about knowing what the team needs, obviously. There's far more analysis at, at, say, an analytics level followed by scouting. Obviously, with Klopp, the integration into the team, the team harmony plays a huge role. So, so they are going to be talking to hundreds of people, people who have played with them, against them, their coaches, the scouts who found them. They are going to be, Liverpool are going to be talking to so many people before making a decision. And it's quite clear Liverpool have sealed the deal with the player because it's almost like once, Somebody is linked and it's almost, when they say that they want to come to us, it's almost like they only come to us. Uh, other play, other teams aren't interested. We have heard Keta refuse teams, Van Dyke refuse teams. So it's all, we seal the deal with the player obviously first before we go into the bid. And that's why anybody who's strongly linked to us is literally they only want to come to us. It's a far more cohesive strategy and I, I and it's, it's nice to see we going beyond monitoring. It's actually yeah. monitoring and then buying also. It's not only monitoring is not equal exactly. to buying. So in a way, it's, it's it's interesting to see news doesn't leak much. It's We leak what we want to. It's controlled by us. Obviously, there aren't enough loud mouths around. So it's it's a controlled by us. It's we leak when we want to. Some things just don't leak. Like Fabinho just turned up one morning. And like, <laughs> right. You remember that morning, right? I'm like, yeah, what yeah. the hell happened? What else? I think all of yeah, I was worried it was like something like the, what what happened with United. They wanted Kaka and Cleberson came in one morning. Like, okay, did we intend to buy him and did the wrong guy just turn up? Or <laughs> what the hell happened? But it's it's nice. It's nice that you are we don't we aren't monitoring a player for three sixty five days in public, then make sixteen low bids and get rejected. So in a way that's good to see and it's it's quite clear there's a clop in print, but that's it's also equally important to see there's a Michael Edwards and that's good to see. There, there's a clear blueprint on how things work now. Right. We've we've really seen some dark days as far as the transfers are concerned. I mean there were you know, we've had players who would snub us to go and um you know, for Arsenal because they were located in London, we've had players who snubbed us last minute like the Mama Saladin and the William deal. And it's, 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 it's really, really been a case of, uh, you know, at the, at the end of the storm is a golden sky because honestly, like where we're sitting today as fans, we're so much happier in a better place. Our, our expectations are not so realistic. If there's a target that's coming in, it's most likely that that target is going to be a Liverpool player soon enough. So, um, a lot of positive changes for us, definitely. Ari, coming to you, uh, uh, what is your take on, you know, the way things have changed for us uh, under Klopp and Michael Edwards? Uh, look, Ashley said, I'm I'm so glad that there's none of this uh, committee signing, manager signing business. Uh, there was so much of that under Rogers, and it was it was not pleasant. Uh, there was this there was this. I I I genuinely don't know how true this is, but I've read in a lot of places that 
Rogers only sanctioned the Firmino signing if he was allowed to get Benteke in as well. So, if that kind of barter system was happening, ridiculous again. So, I, I, I really don't have much, much to add on what she said. I think, uh, for the first time in a long time, we have a very cohesive system. We have, uh, a system in place where we're targeting better players, one, and, uh, a system in place where we're getting a lot of our targets, uh, if not all. Uh, and in many ways, I think the club has gotten a little more cautious since the uh, Virgil van Dijk uh, fiasco last summer. Uh, because at the cost of some journalists looking like absolute fools, uh, we'll be leaking information when we want, we're leaking what we want. And sometimes it's just, it's just one thing today and the opposite of that two days later, uh, which... Which makes those, I mean, as a journalist myself, I question what those journalists are doing. Uh, but we're making a few journalists look like fools, but at least we're controlling what we have to. And that, that's a very, very happy place to be in. Yeah, the only thing I, I mean, I, I probably want to add to all of this in terms of profiling, right? We, we, we've all heard about the March Malign Transfer Committee in the Brendan Rogers days. But you know, I, I hope none of us across the board uh, uh, a sort of you know underestimating the pull or the influence uh, Jurgen Klopp is because while we can easily talk about there being more you know cohesiveness in in the transfer plan it's not like we're using someone to text someone to come and join us right and we've all heard about that awful story where you know Gerard is actually making an attempt right. to text Tony Cruz to, to ask him to come along so yeah. we've obviously if you look at Cruz, that is the perfect profile for any central midfielder. But we're still using a footballer rather than the system and the club to be able to bring them in. So, you know, we shouldn't by any means, um, you know, underestimate the influence that that club has on the entire system. And of course, what he's been able to produce with the talent that he has in the, you know, on the pitch. So before Salah, we still played some really good football. We had good results against big teams. We had a couple of finals. So. It's all, you know, it, it, it's all a, a chain of events. So, I'm, I'm just glad that, you know, where we are where we are right now. Yeah, just, just one more thing. I think it was January we sold Coutinho and we, we were having this discussion here on whether we're a selling club. Six months later, we're having yeah. this. So, it's happy, happy, happy days. Oh my God, that is, that is such a, such a fantastic realization. And, uh, Adi, absolutely. I clearly remember us talking about being a selling club. Wow, in six months, we have come a long way. Uh, Bijan, I'm going to stay with you. Uh, are we done for the summer? Is this, is this our window? And if so, are you happy with it? I hope not. Um, there's two different there's two answers to that. I hope we're not done, uh, but I have a funny feeling that we are. Um, and that's and and that's a little bit of my worry because. You know, we, we're listening to a lot of stuff about there being a clear out and, you know, we're, we're trying to recoup a hundred million in sales. Um, that is, I have a problem with that is because the first time we've realistically built a squad where we have 15, 16 players that can be used across four tournaments. We're looking at recouping money to then presumably think about buying another person. Right. So we're going back to being Netspan FC. Um, because that's, you know, I, I just don't like that narrative. I understand there's dead weight. I understand you want to move people on to get better people in, but I hope it's just not, we're done. Now we're going to sell worth a hundred million, you know, have four or five people out. And then we're unfortunately back to a couple of injuries away from being, Oh shit. I hope so and so doesn't get injured. Oh shit, I hope so and so isn't getting there. So I hope we're not done. Um, if we are done, I will be slightly disappointed, uh, with the window. I'd be, because again, I'm not including Nabi as, as this summer, right? Nabi was okay. supposed to come in last year. We managed to structure it for this summer. I understand that, but that's a more financial thing. Would we have been better last year with him? Arguably. Um, so I'm not including Nabi necessarily as a this summer buy. Um, mm -hmm. and then technically you've got two biggish names in, right? You've got Fabiano and you've got Alison. So I'm not really sure 
whether that's just going to be a happy winner for me. So I'd like, I mean, I'd, in an ideal situation, I'd like a couple more um, if possible. And um, okay. if not, then I'd, I'd be slightly disappointed. Shri, are you uh, on the same page as the John as far as this is concerned? I would say it's a good window. It, it can be a great window, but obviously it's a good window. And I'm quite disappointed that Bijan hasn't talked about the best transfer, Mr. Cube himself. <laughs> I mean, Shakiri, come on, man. He's given us the... <laughs> I know, I know. He's I know, given I know us what the meme of the season. I know that... that that look is just, I, it's the best it's thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it's, it's the best thing which has happened this time. summer for me. I mean, 100%. I mean, like, screw Na- Nabil Fakir. That's the meme I want. And, but yeah, no, me, I, I really, completely agree you. For, for 13 it's, million, that's, I think it's, it's an outrageous deal for a player of his capability. We are talking about a Champions League level player at 13 million. So yeah, we, we still I mean, have I the capability. I missed that out. Um, I was just unfortunately looking at it from a very. Um, we haven't really solved the CB problem, you know, the centre back problem, which is why it's, it's a bit of a disappointment. But Bijan, to be but fair, yeah, if I you agree. go on, if you go on the internet, the last thing you should say is you missed Jalan Shakiri. It's it's know, tough to miss him. I apologize. I'm gonna go and look at that gym for the rest of the night to make he, up he, for. He's my James that. Milner for the season. <laughs> I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look. Look at that meme just to make up for the bad karma of of having missed out his name. Oh, to Adi, the new James Miller. <laughs> oh, oh, Shri. I thought Henderson was already your Milner. No, but did you realize one thing? He's taken the jersey 23, right? Yeah. But I have a sneaky feeling he wanted to be a number 8. It's like, but 23, you just put the 3 a bit up. It's 2 cube 8. You see the oh link, right? <laughs> Good grief. Shri. <laughs> oh, honestly, I have I have no words right now. <laughs> Speechless. Uh, yeah, Shri, I'm going to hold you to that, okay? Uh, that that Shakiri is going to be the next James Milner for the season. Uh, just like I'm still holding you to Markovic. Yeah, I was going to say, he glides on the grass. <laughs> Don't forget. <laughs> right, right. Okay, guys. Uh, before we uh, come in, I thought it would be nice to have a quick look at Sturridge, considering he had some magic with Nabi the other day against uh, Blackburn, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, Adi, coming to you, thoughts on Sturridge? Do you see him being a part of the team again? Like a, like a substantial part of the team again? Okay, my warm-up for this podcast was watching the 2013-14 season review, so I'm going to be a little biased. <laughs> I'm going to be a little biased and say Sturridge still has a role to play. Uh, he's looked really good in preseason. And he's looked sharper than I've seen him for a couple of years. Uh, I mean, but, but with Sturridge, there'll always be that caveat saying, if he's fit, he's an asset, but how much is he going to be fit? I genuinely hope he has one big season left in him because uh, the things that Sturridge can offer, there are very, very few people, very few strikers in the world that can. A fit, a fit and firing Daniel Sturridge will still be among the best strikers in the Premier League, without a doubt, in my view. So, if he's fit, if he's if he's feeling good about himself, if he's feeling good about having to play second fiddle, which he probably will, I I I don't see a situation where he's he's going to get ahead of Firmino in our pecking order. So, if he's okay with all of that, then he's 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 an amazing option to have off the bench. I and I really really hope that uh, he's going to have a great season. He already seems to have struck up a really good partnership with Nabi. Uh, I mean, yeah. I'm not reading. I'm not reading much into preseason at all because he played four lower division sides in Dortmund. Uh, but he's he seems to have developed a decent understanding with Nabi already, and with more time on the training pitch, on the pitch as such, it's going. It's it's probably only going to get better. So so yeah, with Sturridge, I think the only thing with him is his fitness. There, there really has never been any doubt about. The quality that the man possesses. Uh, if he can stay fit, uh, uh, he's he's definitely going to be a better option than we had last season with a Solanke or Eddings. All right, uh, Bijan, coming to you. Your thoughts on uh, on Sturridge? Anything you'd like to add? Daniel Sturridge is the biggest 
wormhole for any of us to get into because this always happens. We know how incredibly talented this dude is. I have never seen that kind of swag from a striker with the kind of shit that he pulls off, the arrogance that he has, and he backs it up with some insane ability, right? But it's just, can he be fit enough for more than, you know, 80% of the games? Because remember, even a couple of years ago, I mean, before he went out and loaned to West Brom, he was available for a lot of games. He was on, in the match day squad for a large set of games. Klopp just didn't use him. And then all of us would complain about how Klopp brought on his first substitute to the 75th minute, to the 78th minute, some shit like that. Right? It's, it's the mm-hmm. biggest issue with him. He's incredibly talented. Does Klopp have enough confidence in him to bring him on earlier, to use him differently? Can he play a little deeper? But most importantly, can he feel good? Uh, can he stay fit for more than 80%? And can he avoid those niggles? Because the next time the Echo reports Daniel Sturridge misses the match day squad because of a niggle, all of us and she are going to talk about a six, seven month absence. Right? And that's the biggest problem mm-hmm. that we had. I completely agree with everything that Avi said. Um, the understanding looked good. Um, he's a brilliant, brilliant striker. There's no one that's ever debated that. But it's just, can he stay fit? Can Klopp use him the way he's good? You know, he needs to be used. Um, if yes, then absolutely dump. Dump everybody else. Daniel Sturridge is one of the best strikers uh, that we've seen. Shri, I'm going to come to you. Uh, your thoughts on Daniel Sturridge. Frankly, I don't know why he's staying. Because last season, as Bijan said, he was fit. He never played. And I don't think he's the right guy who you want to give 10 minutes a game. When he's fit, he should start. That's it. There is no point giving him 10 minutes. What do you actually expect in 10 minutes? I'm not quite sure. So, if he's fit, he needs to be playing games, maybe in a periodic frequency, a repeatable pattern. And that's what I think. Maybe maybe too many congestions or infrequent patterns maybe is hampering me. We have no clue. Okay? I'm talking here as though I, he lives next to me, but I have no clue as usual. So, but the whole point being that there are only two reasons he could stay. Nobody else has given him a deal. Clearly. And he's seen West Brom and decided, God, those 10 minutes are better than West Brom. One of the two yeah. has happened. So he's come back and obviously he's, he's prepared to, this is last season. Let's not forget last season on contract. He, he's mm. six months down the line. He could e- easily be what? Ready for a free transfer. He could at least start negotiating. So obviously I think Klopp and Sturridge are at a point where Sturridge knows he needs games if he wants to even move somewhere else. If he's not going to play at all, nobody else is going to risk him. But the point is, what is the proof he's going to stay fit? We have seen it every season. We have seen him being fit. When he's fit, he's on fire, but he breaks down. What different things have we done to say that Sturridge will be fit this time? I don't know. I have nothing to do. Or is it that he looks great in prison? Maybe is that the pace he can play at regularly? Don't know. Maybe that could be a possibility. Maybe a deeper role indicates he doesn't need to make those accelerating runs or put pressure on his body so much. Maybe that's why he's playing deeper. Maybe is that the role he's going to play where he's going to play a deeper mode? Because for for a striker, he's very creative. He's he he sets up people like hell, and his vision is great for a striker. He's used to playing on the last defender's shoulders, but his creative play is not bad for a striker, I would say. So, there is potential for him to play. Maybe that's a position where his body isn't understanding, but I don't, I don't want him to stay and then get 10 minutes every three weeks. From a Sturridge point of view, obviously it's great from Liverpool's point of view. He's an option and in 10 minutes he has far more chance of scoring as Bijan said, as say Solanke might score in 30 games. Don't know, but whether it's great from Sturridge's point of view, I'm not sure. I don't know why he's staying. Um, the only reason, as I said, I can think is nobody else is offering him a deal. Yeah, just just one more thing to add to what she said about him playing deeper. I think playing deeper for him works a lot better at Liverpool than it would anywhere else. Because he with his creative ability and the pace of Mane and Salah either side, he can afford to play deeper and still have an impact on games. Uh, which... And, and at the same time, preserve himself by not having to run in behind that frequently. Uh, like he would if he went to some other club where he was the number nine. Uh, 
I think the presence of Mane and Salah allows Sturridge a different role. I mean, not not this one that Firmino plays because I don't think Sturridge can even at his peak of his fitness. I don't think he he would match the intensity that Firmino brings. But that creative role with Mane and Salah, I think it, it I think it would really suit Sturridge. Uh, in my personal opinion, I think he can be a massive asset for us. Right, Adi. I think there is just so much to look forward to for this season. It's extremely exciting with the new chances in. We finally have someone in defensive midfield role, Fabinho. Something that's been lacking for quite some time. Uh, we can really hope that Liverpool smashes it this season. It looks like they have the potential to, and hopefully they'll make it happen. I'm afraid we've reached the end of our podcast. Thank you guys so much for coming on as always and thank you to all our listeners. We'll be back very soon. Network.